The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Title of our Bible study tonight is Hope for the Hopeless, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I'm not going to read because of the, the length of the passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is what I want to begin with. I want to jump all the way down to... Verse 15, so Mark chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And they came to Jesus, and as they came out to Jesus, the people, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, that was the name of the, uh, the demon, and his friends, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I want to begin here. I want to begin here because one of the things that Jesus does is he gives us back a standing and a condition that we possessed in the Garden of Eden. And and many theologians like to refer to man as having been created in God's image. That we, that humanity, is different than any uh, any other part of God's creation, that we are unique that God uh, uh, speaks everything into existence, and yet when it came to man, he fashioned him with his hands from the dust of the earth, and then he draws near to man and breathes the breath of life into his nostrils, and it says that man became a living soul. That you have great value because you were created in the image of God. And that's where I want to begin. You see, for 20 verses, what the story that's related to us is a man, is a man whose image of God, being created in the image of God, is attacked by evil. And we'll get into that in a minute. You know, sometimes when I'm not downtown a lot, but, you know, I get into one of the towns or one of the cities nearby, and, you know, you, you, you drive by folks who is, obviously it's apparent that they're living on the streets. They're a part of the a homeless community. We, we seldom know their names or their stories, but they do have one that is a name and a story. We sel- seldom know anything about them except their condition. And one of the things that strikes me is that these people are created in the image of God. That in, in, in their being, their being a man or a woman, a young person, an old person, whether the issue is some level of addiction or mental health challenge, that this person, this person has great value to us as Christians. And that's what I want us to focus on as we make our way through this. We can get easily get bogged down on the condition of the man and lose sight of who he is. A number of years ago, I was trying to remember today, and I I really can't put my hand on it, but I was called by a church, and they said, can you come to this Bible study tonight? We think that quite possibly a visitor is going to come uh, who has a challenge with a demon. 
And I don't know about you, when I think about people in this condition, I, for whatever reason, right or wrong, I think of a third world country. I think of someplace very far away. I think of stories that missionaries will tell us when they come to our churches and visit. But it's not something that I necessarily have much familiarity with, apart from what the Bible tells us. So all that afternoon, I was praying, I was reading the scriptures. I didn't know if, I would, if the person would even show up, right? I mean, are they going to make it to church tonight? And, and then I didn't know, well, is this mental health, you know? Is it addiction? Is it, is it somebody who's, who's just not thinking right? And so at the conclusion of the Bible study, I had made myself available to the leader, and they give me the, you know, it's, it, it, it's, we just got done with the World Series. It's kind of like when the coach points out to the bullpen, and they, you know, they give you this, you know, bring in the lefty. And so, you know, I come walking up, and, and this individual was standing there along with a friend who had invited this person to church. And if you know anything about Danny Ramos, is that he's hard of hearing. I'm not deaf, as some of you might suppose it sometimes. Sometimes I don't listen because I don't want to listen. And I use my, uh, my hearing loss as an excuse, but there's other times that if there's background noise, and so I said, you know, they're beginning to explain the situation. I said, can you join me in this other room? But I did that for two reasons. One, if there was any kind of manifestation, I didn't want it to be in front of other people. And part of the reason behind that is because I wanted to honor the dignity of the individual. So we move into another room, and I begin to pray. The friend is there and explaining the story. And, and as I begin to, to, to pray, yes, this, this evil spirit, this demon, manifests. And so this person I was talking to and had heard this person's voice, and they were articulating to me their story, all of a sudden they fell on the ground and began to contort. And again, I don't want to focus too much on that part of it, of the story. But I want you to hear this. Even with all of my inexperience, I simply speak to this thing and I say, in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to be quiet. And it moved, it, it, it literally just subsided. And then through the course of the night, four hours, we started about eight o'clock in the evening, I left church around midnight. Eventually, a group of other people, some pastors, some staff, some facilities people, came and joined, joined me. And through the, through the course of the evening, we engaged with the individual, with the person. And in the name and the authority of Jesus, commanded the spirit to remain silent. When we consider the spiritual realm, maybe because we're Western-thinking individuals, maybe because we're scientific, maybe, maybe because we're modern, maybe because the gospel has so influenced us, truth has so much saturated our, our, our every part of our life that we don't recognize it, it was, it was a challenge for me to not to be able to help this, this individual, this person, as much as I possibly could. So I went home that night very frustrated. Um, we, we, we had concluded the evening with this, and I still don't understand this, but the bond between this spirit and this individual was strengthened by this individual's dependence upon the comfort that the spirit brought to that person. So I don't know if it was a year or two later, I'm out here on Solomon's porch. It's one of the feasts one of the many feasts that we celebrate around here in this 
person come up, and she's standing right in front of me with the biggest smile that you've ever seen. And she did one of those things that you guys do to pastors and catch us completely off guard and said, do you remember me? And I'm like going through the Rolodex up here, and the Rolodex is missing a lot of cards, I'll tell you that, at this stage of life. And I can hear her going, and I go, and, and we kind of learn tricks, and I go, you know, you look familiar, but can you help me a little bit, you know? It's like remembering somebody's name. You say, hi, buddy, how you doing? You know, it's like one of those things that you learn. And she told me, thank you for helping me. She goes, it, it, it was the beginning of a journey where I would eventually be delivered. But the one thing I did leaving that night, again, it was the middle of the night, and there were a number of us that were present helping this person. She goes, is I learned about the love of God through your and that group's efforts to stay, their, your effort to stay with me through the course of the evening until that thing was driven out. So we know that the spiritual realm is real. And we know, we know, as I'm going to talk about here in a moment in the introduction, you say, Danny, I thought you are into the introduction. Well, not quite yet. We know that the story we're considering this evening, think about this, is familiar to you. If you've been in church, you've heard this story, youth group or church or Bible study, But this is the most detailed example of Satan marring a man who's created in God's image. As a matter of fact, Mark's graphic description speaks to the impact that it had on those who were present. The significant that people, that these individuals would remember. It's, 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 as we'll see, it's in a couple of, it's in two of the other Gospels. Central to the narrative is Jesus' divine authority over Satan. There is, there is between Jesus and the enemy or the kingdom of darkness, there is no competition. Jesus has complete and total authority over the devil. Equally important is his compassion on a man who was tormented. Jesus shows compassion on this individual. As a matter of fact, the man is why Jesus instructed his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, when he tells them at the conclusion of a very busy day of ministry, let us go over to the other side. The disciples had no idea that they would be moving in the direction of the Gerasenes, but Jesus had full intention to go and to deliver this man from darkness. The other thing I want you to consider is that the account illustrates that Jesus came into this world to set man free from Satan's affliction. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, the latter part of the verse, it says, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of Man came into this world, John says, was to destroy, was to annihilate, was to take what the devil has done over a very long period of time and to cause it to stop. I want you to see the heart of God tonight for the for man. In John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10, at the beginning of the verse, 
Jesus says of the devil, the thief, you're familiar with this, the thief comes only, only. He comes for no other purpose. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. In the balance of the verse, Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. So I don't know where you're at tonight. And again, those of you that are joining online, I don't know what you're going to, but I want you to know that the gospel writers, three of them, want us to know, want you to know, that Jesus came into the world to set us free from sin and from the enemy. On the screen, you'll see a a quote where it says, the answer to evil is the cross of Christ. The answer to evil is the cross of Christ. Whenever you are attacked, our victory will be found in Jesus. Whenever you're attacked, whenever you experience oppression, whenever you experience affliction, we turn to Jesus and he speaks to darkness and it must leave. That's one of the things I think that impressed me the most, even though I knew my inexperience I I knew my lack of of technical knowledge that when I said the name of Jesus, this thing immediately stopped. Because it's not my authority, it's not your authority, it's his authority. You have authority in Christ Jesus. Now, it's been my experience, and I don't share this story very often, but it's been my experience that some folks, some people, have very strong opinions when it comes to the subject of demons. On the other side of the spectrum, many of us live as though they don't exist. I mean, if we were in a, in, in a gathering of other believers and we were talking about it, we would acknowledge their existence, but we really practically live our lives as they don't exist. The scriptures tell us that they're real. I think you'll see that tonight. And I believe that this is where balance is key. Understand tonight that we likely encounter opposition from evil more than we know. And yet at the same time, if we get a flat tire, we cannot blame it on the devil. Paul is helpful here in Ephesians chapter 6. You're familiar with this verse, verse 12. For we do not wrestle, we do not struggle, we do not do war, he says against flesh and blood, that is that our enemy is never flesh and blood. Our, never, our enemy is never in the physical realm. He says, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present or current darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, he- in the heavenly places. In other words, Paul would tell you tonight if he was here, he goes, remember that you were at war. Each and every day, we are at war. We are to have a posture of being alert. We are to have a posture of understanding the enemy's strategies. We are to have a posture of knowing the scriptures and not only knowing them intellectually, but living them out in our lives. For some of us, this helps explain the current condition of the world around us. But it's not the only, it's not the only explanation. For you see, the fall of man, going back to the Garden of Eden, chapter Genesis 3, the fall of man is a factor as well. Our story is about a man who theologians or Bible teachers would, would tell us. I don't know that we use this terminology on a regular basis or even feel comfortable with it. 
But this man is demonized. He's controlled. I, I think one way to picture it is, is, is if a Christian can be oppressed, which would, would, which would be external, this man is controlled in the same way that you would take your hand and place it into a glove. It's that time of the year where I've already dug my gloves out. I'm always cold. I'm the guy that wears a sweatshirt year-round. And so this time of the year, especially in the morning in my house, uh, you may find me with my gloves on. Um, and three or four layers of clothing, but that's more than you want to know. Um, and a, a very warm cap on top of my head. But anyways, this man is as though evil has entered into him and it controls him. We'll talk about that too in a little bit. The demon may have in initially influenced his thought life. And then his behavior or his actions until he became, he himself sadly became entrenched with evil. Personally, I believe when you look at, at where Jesus is and where this man lives, that is the region or the area, I believe that idolatry is a factor. I believe that if you go to certain parts of the world today, you'll see more demonic presence simply because the worship of demons. Paul is helpful in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. The context is, is that as, as these Corinthian believers were, were believing in Christ, they were leaving paganism or idolatry, and they were gathering with Christians. And one of the things that they did on a regular basis is that they had agape feasts. That is that the church came together and they shared food together, and then they had teaching, and then they had worship, and then they had communion. And the question came up, is it, is it okay, remember, because of their background, their background is in idolatry, their background is in the temple, temple worship uh, of these various uh, uh, entities, of these various gods, the question came up, can we go to the market and purchase some meat that was offered, uh, was offered in these temples? And Paul says, that's totally fine if your conscience allows you to. But then he says something very interesting again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, when he says, No, I imply that what pagans, which is what these believers formerly were, what, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. So then Paul says, the, if you had a clear conscience with it, it was fine to eat the meat. But what he forbid was going into the temple and participating in the offering of the meat to idols. Why? But because beyond the, the images of these gods were demons. Behind the image, behind the idol itself, was a demon. And Paul forbid that, as a matter of fact, he goes on to say in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 10, I do not want you to be participants I do not want you to have, he goes on to say, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And so that's one of the reasons that I think it helps explain the condition of this man. So here's the point. At the cross, Jesus openly defeated the devil. And as head of the church, Jesus has delegated his authority to us. And that's what I experienced in that encounter. I experienced the authority of Jesus. I didn't feel like I had extra power. I didn't feel like I had authority. But when it comes down to it, you need to know that the authority of Jesus is yours. It may be delegated, 
but it is real. John Piper said, this will be on the screen, this quote, Christ conquers the devil. He sets the prisoner free. He presents himself as a great deliverer. And so our focus tonight, we'll talk about the man, but our focus tonight is Jesus. Our focus is the man being created in the image of God. Just a little bit more commentary before we begin. Unlike the man in our passage, a believer cannot. A believer cannot be controlled by an evil spirit. Why? Because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He has taken up his residency within us. However, a Christian can be oppressed. When you hear that a Christian can be oppressed, I want you to think that a Christian can, by a spirit, be condemned. And I believe the tragedy of all of this is it's because we'll see again in Ephesians chapter 6, the flaming arrows of the wicked one, is because the enemy can plant, can plant thoughts in our mind that we believe are our own thoughts, and they're not, so that we can be condemned. A believer can be encumbered by guilt, and that is probably because we don't understand the gospel fully, that when Christ died on the cross, he died for all of our sin that he has cleansed us and washed us from all of our sin. Again, he has sent as a sign, as an indicator to us, individually, personally, the spirit to indwell us. But Danny, I still sin. But that sin has been dealt with. But Danny, I confess that sin. And then when when the enemy condemns you, then you understand biblically, scripturally, that Jesus died for that sin. And so then God doesn't condemn you. It is the enemy. And then lastly, we can be swallowed up by unforgiveness. That's why believing, I believe what I'm about to say, that's why I believe, I truly believe that believing in a Christ-centered gospel is crucial. The focus of the gospel is Jesus. The focus of the gospel is not Danny. Satan's angle is to come into our lives again and to point out sin and condemn us. It is best to see Jesus has dealt with our sins fully upon the cross. The accuser uses lies. He uses thoughts. Remember I told you that these thoughts or these ideas or this condemnation we can believe is coming from ourselves when it is not. It is external. And he also uses emotions, which I like emotions. But emotions must come in line with the scriptures, with the word of God, and with truth. Truth points us to the finished work of Christ. Again, in Ephesians 6, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, because this is true, because you're at war, you are to take up the whole armor of God. And this is where, again, the gospel comes in. Take on the truth of the gospel. Believe what the gospel says. Don't necessarily believe everything you think. Don't necessarily believe everything you feel. Believe the gospel. Believe a Christ-centered gospel. When I say Christ-centered, I mean it is focused on Jesus and not on ourselves. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Look at me. I know not much to look at right. But look at me. The enemy shoots thoughts. 
into our minds, yet it is the shield of faith that takes the truth of the scriptures and extinguishes those flaming darts. And the, the terminology is so graphic. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. Making supplication for all saints. And this is why I think the body of Christ is so important. We need each other. We need to speak truth. We need to speak gospel to one another. We need to speak truth to another one another. We need to encourage one another when we're down to point each other to Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and look. Let's go ahead and look at uh, verses one through twenty. Jesus delivers a man from evil. Let me say this: Jesus continues to deliver men and women from evil today. On the screen, you'll see in verses one through six, Jesus and the man. They, that is the disciples who were in the boat with Jesus, as well as the other boats that had come with him, remember the storm on the sea has just been, they've just experienced it. They're coming out the other side. I believe that both events are related. There's the storm on the sea. Now we're going to see the storm in a man. And they came to the, uh, to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. Some of your Bibles might see the Gadarenes. This is outside of Israel. This is, this is, we'll talk more about it. It might be likened to a missions trip. Verse 2, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately, that's Mark's favorite word there, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now verse 3 tells us that he lived among the tombs. This is where he'd taken up his residency. And so this detail begins to flow. This information begins to come to us. And no one could bind him anymore, any longer. The idea is that there had been a time when he could be shackled, when he could be contained, but that time was past. It is as though evil entered in his life and then it progressively got worse and worse and worse. Not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched or he tore the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, night and day, among the tombs, among the graves, and out on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Just a little information about the geographical location of where Jesus is at now. And remember, his disciples are with him. Some Bible teachers say that it is likely evening or even night. Know about you, that doesn't help me at all. The country of the Gadarenes is on the eastern shore of the Galilee. It was also known at this time as the Decapolis, a region, an area. When you hear the word Decapolis, I want you to think of 10 Greek cities that were founded during the time of Alexander the Great. I also want you to think that, a, that 100 years prior to Christ's birth, that the Romans had come in and displaced the Greeks, and they too had garrisons here. And if you know anything about Greek and Roman culture, I've already said it once, this is, this is, this is a hotbed of idolatry as they worship their various gods. 
In fact, Matthew and Luke have parallel passages. In Matthew chapter 8, tells us in verse 28 that two demon-possessed men met Jesus. Two things about this. First, demonized is a better translation than demon-possessed for a number of reasons. It means controlled by a demon. Remember the glove in the hand. Secondly, it appears as though one of the men was in, was in more of a severe condition than the other, so then Mark focuses on him. Verse 2 says that they came out of the tomb. I, I want you to think uh, a graveyard. And so there at this time in the side of a hill, there would either be natural caves or man-made caves. And so then when somebody passed away, they would go through their rituals, they would go through their you know, preparation of the body, and then they would take them into these caves and they would leave them there. This is where the man lived. He lived in these caves. We see that he was tormented, that he cried out through the nighttime. A cemetery would have made the disciples a little jumpy. These are Jewish men. And one of the last things they wanted to do was to come in contact with a dead body. It would have rendered them unclean. As far as I'm concerned, a graveyard at night, talking about demons is something I would probably not really want to do. I don't know about you. In Luke chapter 8, verse 29, the latter part of the verse, it says, of the man that he would break the bonds, that is, the shackles, and be driven by the demon into the desert. And so when... Good people, when good people would try to come and help him, maybe in an attempt to keep him from cutting himself, maybe in an attempt to keep him from harming others, but when good people would try to come, they would try to bind him. But because of this, this evil presence in his life, he had the ability to break, to break the restrictions, and then he would run into the wilderness or into the desert. As you consider the man tonight, think about this. He is isolated. He is alienated. And he is afflicted. Satan isolates. He alienates. And he afflicts. Now think about the body of Christ. We come together. Scriptures tell us to bear one another's burdens, to encourage each other, to be together. Have you ever stopped and think about this? When you're with a, maybe a, a group of believers and you look around the room or you consider who's in the group and how different you are? I've done this multiple times. I'm like, you know, I think of a friend, a Christian friend, and, and I think that I wouldn't know this person if it wasn't for Jesus. I, I wouldn't have a bond or a connection or a relationship with this individual. We're so different. We come from different walks of life. We could different cultures, different background, different language. And yet, in a relatively short period of time, I feel like we could almost complete each other's sentences. My friend, Christ brings us Together, the enemy isolates and separates man who's created 
in the image of God. The detail of the man's condition suggested his story was related to the disciples by either himself or by others. Verse 6 is said, and when Jesus saw him from, when he saw Jesus, I'm sorry, from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. There's some discussion as to whether the man is coming to Jesus on his own accord or whether because Jesus is God in the flesh that the spirit comes and subjects itself to Jesus because this is required because he is forced to. Nevertheless, we find the man before Jesus. In James chapter 2, verses 19, James says, You believe that God is one. I believe that this is reference to the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And he tells the believers, you do well, or this is good, this is correct. But then he speaks about the theology of the demonic world. Even the demons believe and shudder. That is, even the demons believe that there is one God. And in doing so, they recognize that one day that God will require their judgment. And so this spirit comes and lays before Jesus. On the screen, you'll see that in verses 7 through 13, Jesus and the demon. And crying out with a loud voice. So this is the man's vocal cords, but it's being used by the spirit. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure or implore you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus, and Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd, a large herd of Pigs or swine were feeding on the hillside. And they, be, and they begged him, saying, send us, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he, Jesus, gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. A couple things to think about. Again, we see Jesus' authority, but again, we see Jesus' compassion on the individual. Jesus came here to do this, to deliver him from evil. Jesus has come to deliver man from evil. Jesus will deliver man from evil. There's no question about it. Satan is not God's equal. The devil is a created being. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. Listen to this. He is defeated. Right now, Satan in the kingdom of darkness is defeated. Colossians 2.15 says of Jesus that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those are the, it's a, uh, spiritual designations or positions. He, Jesus, disarmed them the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is at the cross. Not only is Satan defeated, Satan is also doomed. And he knows it. In Revelation 20.10, 
It says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and, there, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They are, Satan is defeated, and he is doomed. Verse 7, he says, the spirit, the demon says, what, do you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I want you to see the, G, the demon here is protesting, complaining, saying to Jesus, in essence, why are you interfering with me before the time? Why are you coming and interfering or bothering me before the time? One of the things that's interesting is that it possesses intelligence. I found that to be true. And I also want you to know that when the gospel is proclaimed, that is when you share the gospel and it is believed that the kingdom of darkness suffers loss, it suffers loss, the presentation and believing in the gospel of Christ Jesus. Again, the spirit, the demonic world, possesses intelligence in Acts chapter 19. We read, Luke relates to us a story about the sons of Sceva, who apparently was a high priest at the time. And they used Jesus' name. They didn't know Jesus, but they used his name. They, they, They had heard that the apostles were casting out demons by using Jesus' name. Actually, Paul, to rid a man of a demon. And the evil spirit replied to their incantation. Again, Acts 19. Jesus, I know. See, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And let's just say these fellows had a very bad day at the office from that point forward. It's a very difficult time. Back to verse 7, it says, he addresses Jesus as son of the Most High God. That is, the demon acknowledges Jesus as deity and his authority. And he says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Matthew 8 adds, before the time. Demons know that there is an appointed time when God will judge them. They are judged and they will be completely judged. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, there's a reference that Satan knows that his time is short. He knows that his time is short. And sometimes I wonder when we look at the world around us if we're not seeing evidence of that. If we're not seeing resistance and hostility towards all that is good, especially man who's created in God's image. When we look at the condition that some people find themselves in for a variety of of reasons, maybe that is in a way, a sense of reminding us that evil understands, evil is intelligent, it knows who God is, who God is, it knows that it will be judged, and because it knows that that day is approaching, it's accelerating its activity, which should to you and to me remind us, not only when Jesus came the second time, but that he will come the first time, but he will come a second time to judge all unrighteousness. And so we see another sign of submission. Not only does the man, the demon, come and bow before Jesus and the man, but we, we, we see another sign of submission in, the, in the, spirits, the spirits giving its name to Jesus in verse 9 where he says, my name is Legion. Listen to this. My name is Legion for we are many, which speaks to the condition of the individual. We are many. Beyond the number of a Roman legion being approximately 6,000 legionnaires, and that fluctuated, 
is the idea of a strong united force of evil telling us that Jesus has complete authority over all demons regarding the number, regardless of the number or the position. So then the demon begs, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. For some unknown reason, they don't want to leave the area, the geographical, there's a geographical connection. And they desire to be embodied, to be in control something perhaps hoping to postpone their judgment. In Luke chapter 8, 31, it says, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And I think that's a good suggestion, that the anticipated judgment. One more thing I want you to re- remember before we move on. Jesus, again, is in Gentile territory. His authority over legion messages to, to, to Mark's original hearers that in the same way that Jesus had authority over legion, Jesus had authority over their oppressors in Rome. So in verses 14 through 17, the screen, on the screen, Jesus and the people. Verse 14. The herdsmen, or those who were carrying, uh, watching over the, the pigs, fled and told it, to the, told it to the city and in the country, that is, they spread the word. And people came to see what it was that it, that it had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, now listen to, listen to the, his condition now, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And this is God's desire for, for every person who's oppressed by evil, is that there would come a time and a day where they would experience his peace in the same way that he spoke to the wind and the waves, peace be still, that, that you and I, And those around us would experience the peace, the calmness, and the stillness of God in our soul. Peace, be still. Verse 16 says, And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. We're wrapping up here. The report of those caring for the pigs stirs the city. It mobilizes people. As these, these, excuse the terminology, these pig herders come into town and say, you you can't believe what just happened. And they relate the story. It stirs the people into action. It causes them to move in the direction of the cemetery. What they see is chaos displaced by peace. Peace. The man is clothed, suggesting that previously he had been naked. The man is now in his right mind, that is, thinking clearly, self-controlled. Verse 15 is a commentary on the culture, and we shouldn't be surprised at how our culture responds to the things of God when we see in the pages of Scripture how, this, how these people responded to Christ. It says, and they were afraid. If the man's previous condition had troubled him, and it did, his being at peace equally troubled them because Jesus was the only explanation for the man becoming whole, for the man being delivered, for the man having peace, for the man experiencing deliverance from God. 
Sometimes I wonder if that we're looking around us at the world and we're expecting the, them to value the things that we value. Why there's an inconsistency. It's because of Jesus. Verse 17, it says, And they begged Jesus, they began to beg him to leave the region, to leave them alone, to leave the area. And Jesus honors their request. Last section. Jesus and the man again. Verses 18 through 20. And he, Jesus, along with the disciples, was getting back into the boat. And the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. That is, that he might accompany him, that he might go with him. Listen, this is very different because Jesus calling people to be with him, calling people to be with him, calling people to be with him. In verse 19 it says, And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he, the man, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that is the region of the ten cities again, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.